you know, if you're trying to accomplish anything, you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to try hard. You're going to strive. You got to go for it. You got to, you know, all those things. Um, what if there's another way? We're going to take a look at that today on this episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting usually, you know, feet first, because those things are our foundation. We're breaking down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or play or do yoga or CrossFit, hang out with your kids, whatever it is you like to do, to do it enjoyably and efficiently, effectively. Did I mention enjoyably? I know I did. It's a trick question. Because look, if you're not having fun, do something different until you are, because you're not going to keep it up if you don't like it anyway. So I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com. I am somehow the host of this thing. And uh, we call this the movement movement because at, here at Zero Shoes and with a bunch of people that we've had on this podcast and other people around the world, we're creating a movement and that we includes you. It's free. I'll tell you how. No, doesn't take any effort about natural movement. That is letting your body do what bodies are supposed to do, not getting in the way with things that are, you know, technological advancements that don't actually help. So uh, the way you can participate in the movement part, it's really easy. Go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. That's obviously our website. You'll find all the previous episodes episodes, all the ways you can engage with the podcast, all the places where you can like and share and give us a thumbs up and hit the bell icon on YouTube to hear about upcoming episodes and subscribe. And yeah, I mean, you know how it works. If you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. And all you have to do is share. So that's all. That's what you do. So um, let us jump into today's something or other. Um, we're going to have a fun chat. Greg, do me a favor. Why don't you tell human beings who you are and what you do and what you're doing here? Yeah, hey, Stephen. Uh, so I am a software engineer. I'm an occasional dance teacher of partner dance. I used to be a researcher in the learning sciences. Um, I'm really excited about uh, two uh, somatic modalities, like there's hundreds of them out there, and most of them I'm pretty sure do great stuff. I'm particularly excited about Franklin Method and Alexander Technique. So much so, I'm about to start uh, Alexander Technique teacher training, which is going to keep me partially or full, partially at least occupied the next three years. And I've just been really excited about your podcast. Like the movement movement is a thing that I needed to kind of be dragged in kicking and screaming. And <laughs> that's where I was there. Why is that? <laughs> what was the kicking and screaming part? Oh, um, so I used to be a, a ski racer uh, in my youth and I really enjoyed the, the technicality of it. Like downhill slalom, one of them you're supposed to be big and bulky and the other one a bit less maybe, but I just enjoyed both of them. Because to do a really good run, you have to just have really good technique and be super precise and super focused. And I enjoyed that. What I didn't enjoy is that I had to have a really strong body to do it. Like having a strong body, no problem with that. Doing the workouts to get a strong body, eh, that, that's just boring and annoying and I didn't like it. Uh, and so I was never particularly good uh, at, at ski racing. I put a lot of years and effort into it. And so when I stopped, I was just really happy yeah, no more workouts in the gym, no more going running in an evening or in the morning before after school. All those things I can just do if I want to and not do if I don't want to. Um, then I found partner dancing and that kind of satisfied that need to move. But because partner dancing is about interacting with another person, so social partner dancing, just go out to a party, uh, go to a club, go dancing. I was kind of awkward at moving because I enjoyed the, 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 the geeking out about it and the how do you lead and follow this magical thing. Uh, but again, the actual training and kind of getting a strong, balanced body, I'm really happy to have that as a byproduct of whatever I do. I am not going to put in the hours to, to make it happen. Uh, and then suddenly I came and did this dance training where the, the tagline was kind of train like a professional dancer. So five days a week for five days, eight hours a day, start at eight in the morning, finish at 10 o'clock at night. 
Uh, go sleep. So hold on, wait, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I, I'm pausing again. So you started by saying in two different places, you just didn't want to put in the work as it were. And then you signed up for a five day, five day a week, eight hour a day, putting in the work thing. I know, right? <laughs> and it was kind of the promise that this would, uh, I had a friend who'd done this kind of thing, this particular uh, training with these particular teachers before. And she kept saying, hey, Greg, you would love this. You would really love this. Would I? Would I? I don't think I would, though. I, I, I was curious. And so the, the, the curiosity will get me there. And I, I wanted to see, like, well, what, 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 what would this promise? And it's not too big of a thing. It's just like five days. It's a little bit of money, but that, okay. that part's fine. Not like five um, days a week for some indefinite amount. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, just a five-day that. program. Right, that's a whole um, different story. Okay, so that makes sense. <laughs> okay, now, now I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, also eight hours a day uh, movement training. You can't do that, I don't think, for more than five days in a row. Afterwards, you need to tone it down to something that's sustainable. Uh, and maybe pro athletes do eight hours a day. I don't, I don't really know. But and yeah, there, there were some things that happened there. There were the ways that stuff, that movement was being taught. The things I was taught kind of made my brain curious and um, curious enough that I overcome the desire to not really work too hard on things. And still haven't worked super hard on stuff because that's still not who I am. Like if, if I'm in the brain space, where I'm like, this is the thing I'm focusing on. This is what I want to do. I'll do it and not count the hours. And as soon as I have to drag myself out of bed or off the couch or away from the computer or away from whatever it is I'm wanting to do, I don't have so, that. So <laughs> I, I, I haven't found the thread to what you said, though, for coming to natural movement, kicking and screaming. Yeah. And so that was kind of I was social dancing. It's about relating with another person. It's about being musical. It's about having fun. And so there's a lot of very awkward social dance movers out there. Uh, but no one's professional at it. Well, I mean, some people are, but most of the people, they're not professional. They're just there to have fun. And they don't actually care. It's the same thing. You go out to a pub, uh, someone's telling a joke. They're not a professional comedian. And if they were a professional comedian, maybe they would tell that joke ever so slightly better. But they're probably really good at telling jokes. Uh, I'm the kind of person I go to the pub and the way I tell the joke, the punchline tends to fall a bit flat. <laughs> That's fine. Like that, that happens. And, and my friends presumably uh, put up with it. And so that was kind of the same thing. Like I was happy being a slightly awkward dancer who people enjoyed dancing with. They enjoyed hanging out with, but I like, I wouldn't film myself and put it on the internet because I just looked silly almost. Mm -hmm. And I'd be embarrassed about it. And I didn't think, I thought there was people who are graceful and the people who are not graceful and that there was no path from here to there. And then what, so what this taught me was kind of two things. One is there is a path from here to there. And I'm really excited about that. And also that even me, who's like kind of renounced uh, running and training at the gym, I'm excited to be like, yeah, but actually this is how I live life to the full. I think your tagline, I always kind of think, oh, this is Steven's tagline. It's always the same with small variations. And I think, no, but you know what? This is something I really believe in. And so the, the, now I wear barefoot shoes. I have a couple of yours. I have a couple of uh, Vivo barefoots. I do all through COVID. I did three times a week uh, movement breaks over lunchtime over Zoom uh, with uh, some friends and just whoever else was stuck at home and really needed that. It's like, tell 10 years ago me that I was going to do that and I wouldn't have believed it. So I'm going to press you on this just because um, you have me super curious. So um, it seems like we just made a jump between dance and all these other things you were doing and then getting into barefoot natural movement. But I didn't hear where the gap was or where the original either um, objection or distrust or disbelief or whatever that was the kicking and screaming part. I'm, I'm stuck okay. on that. You can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of parts to it. One is uh, just the 
the the, the self-efficacy, the, the the growth mindset of it. Mm. I just didn't think that there was a path for me, a kind of dorky, not natural movie, not uh. very good at moving dancer, uh, to being a good dancer. I thought if there was such a path, it must involve really working hard and training your body and getting your body strong and supple and fit and doing all those things I didn't want to do. So what was the thing that, that, I mean, I got a couple of questions that come from that. One is, well, actually I'll do this one first. So clearly you've described a number of things that explain how I set this up about working hard and striving, et cetera. Maybe there's another way. And we're going to, I know we're going to get into some specifics about that in a second. Uh, so I want to just lead with that. But the second question is what was the thing that made you want to try getting shoes from us or Vivo or whomever else and getting, you know, that sort of natural footwear or natural motion starting feet first? Mm-hmm. So I went to this camp the first time, and the teachers there are two of people who I've trained with uh, in the 10 years ever since, like at least five, 10 days, uh, 10 days a year. They're trained in uh, Franklin Method as one of the modalities that they use. And what they kind of told me is you don't have to train super hard. You have to go find the movements that your body already knows how to do or can access because we all have the same the same bones, the same muscles. And they're saying the difference between me and you and why when I dance and it looks great and you dance and it looks a bit awkward. Some of it's the training, but some of it is just letting my all my joints move independently. Like you can make this movement with your arm where kind of my hand is waving across the screen and my arm it's, and my wrist are not articulated. Great. Right. So your, yeah, your, your upper arm, for people who aren't watching, so your upper arm, you're basically making your upper arm a windshield wiper. Your wrist and hand aren't doing anything. Your arm is just taking doing the motion. Yeah. Okay. And then if I let all of the parts of my arm articulate, so the, the bones in the forearm are moving against each other, the wrist is moving, the fingers are moving, I'm not even doing anything purposeful. Mm-hmm. And I could probably then try to do something purposeful and artistic and emotional or something. But then I'm, I'm just doing the technical part, which is all these joints exist, all the joints are supposed to move, let's move them. And that goes down to the feet. Uh, and it's something I've probably people have said many times on this podcast, but best thing again, you have 26 bones in your foot, some number in each foot, some number of joints. If those joints are there, that means that biomechanically, they probably need to move. Yeah. Uh, and so what would happen suddenly if you're a dancer who never moved any of the bones in his foot and suddenly started mobilizing that foot pulling on it, massaging it, touching it, walking in barefoot shoes uh, the whole time, how suddenly would all the articulations in the feet translate all the way up the body into articulations in the spine, articulations in the arms and articulations everywhere? Like if you get stuck one place in your feet, then everything else is going to get stuck. Mm, um, love it. And so, all right. So you mentioned the Franklin method, which is something we haven't talked about yet on the podcast. So um, why don't you give me now, do me two favors. One, um, let people know, or I'll let people know, and you can elaborate on this, that this is not, as you mentioned, this is not something that you're a professional Franklin method teacher person, um, but something that you, and you're clearly one of these people. And uh, trust me, I know them because I am one who you get into something and you get into something. So uh, I get that which is partly why we're here. So why don't you talk about just sort of how you felt it or what you discovered about it, what you've learned from it, and what you want to share about that. And we can give people, uh, do you want to start by giving people a little taste of something, or do you want to give an intro and then a little taste? Let's do an intro and also then talk about the Alexander Technique briefly, and okay. then do the movement uh, thing and talk talk through both of them, maybe what we might notice in that movement. I'm worried that when people hear that we're talking about Franklin Method and Alexander Technique, they're going to think we're talking about some workshop having to do with the musical Hamilton. Um, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> seems like seems like these are names that we just don't hear very often anymore. Anyway, please continue. So the thing that first struck me in, in Franklin Method is uh, the teachers who, wonderful movers, wonderful teachers. I'm like, I trust you because also I've paid money to be here for a week with you. Cool. And what they said is, you know, Greg, your sacrum and your pelvis, they're supposed to be able to move independently of each other. Interesting. Uh, and like many people probably, if they've heard anything about the SI joint, is that it needs stabilizing and it needs to be solid and that there is no or very little movement in the SI joint that is supposed to be happening. And Franklin Method is very much based on how the body actually moves. So it's supposed to be functional anatomy scientifically true and that's why i'm a little bit unsure about the whole the whole world sometimes like what is true what is not true but <laughs> i've certainly experienced my teachers their sacrum and their um uh, pelvis move independently to a, a small degree like they articulate and i over the course of three to five years by the time it actually took because it also involved unlocking uh, the movement in my neck if your neck is stuck then your sacrum is going to be stuck because your whole spine uh, has the chain going up and down and, but this was new information to me and also conflicting information. And so what uh, Franklin Method says is, okay, so here's the bones you have, or here's the bones, here's the muscles, here's the fascia. Bones is easy because there's less of them. So let's start with the bones. Um, here's the internal movements that happen in the pelvis when uh, you plie. So plie is a dance term for just going yeah. into a partial squat. Yeah. When you plie, um, your pelvic floor acts as a suspension. And in order for the suspension to work, that means that your sit bones go apart. Your tailbone goes away from the sit bone. So if you imagine a triangle between the bottom of your tail and your two sit bones, that's going to spread apart. And as you come back, it's going to narrow. And that's part of using the pelvic floor as um, a widening thing, like a ball gets wider when it bounces. Mm. Um, and that's, And when people don't have that, that's when suddenly any landing or jumping or plieing or move any kind of up and down movement or force absorption movement goes into knees, goes into your back. And those parts of the body aren't designed to shock absorb. And so suddenly you take away the shock absorption that happens in your pelvis and it doesn't work. And same thing then from the pelvis, uh, there's some, uh, just even talking to bones, there's some spirals that go various directions down into the foot. There's some spirals are happening amongst the bones in the foot. If the pelvic spirals are not working, then your bones, your foot spirals are not working. If your foot spirals are not working, your pelvis spirals are not working. So you have that chain from foot to pelvis that's involved in shock absorption. And so Franklin I'm, Method tells you. I want to pause there. So, because um, I want to, because this is, there's a lot in what you just said, and some of it's really hard to imagine or certainly feel if you haven't felt it. Um, but what you just said with, you know, connecting, let's say the pelvis to the feet, I want to give people an easy thing to latch onto as a starting point. Um, and I was playing with this just the other day. <clears throat> if you stand up and if you, if you're standing with your feet parallel facing forward, because <laughs> you could have them parallel facing backward, that'd be entertaining. Uh, <laughs> and then you keep the ball of your foot and your heel planted while you then squeeze your glutes. If you squeeze your glutes, that makes your femurs turn outward. So if you're looking from above your right femur, your thigh bone is going to go uh, clockwise, your left one's going to go counterclockwise. But again, with your feet planted, what happens, what's really interesting is suddenly you get more of an arch in your foot. So that little spiral that you were referring to that starts from the glutes, AKA around the pelvis, goes down through your legs into your feet. 
And interestingly, when you do this, if you do this, it also feels like you're, while you have less of your foot on the ground, you feel more rooted to the ground. You feel more connected, more solid because you just engaged your glutes. Now, ironically, you could do the same thing the other way around. You could do that with your feet and then you'd feel it up in your glutes as well. And if you really want to have fun, do the opposite. Let your glutes relax and turn your your femurs inward. So don't try to see it. And it's tricky to do this without making your knees point towards each other, but just see if you can do the opposite movement and you'll feel your feet flatten out called pronation. Not a bad thing. Part of the natural shock absorbing mechanism of the, of the lower limbs, but you can feel that pronation when you let your femurs turn in and that arch building up and technically a little bit of supination, the opposite of pronation, but not really as you engage the glutes and engage the feet when they're locked into the ground. So let's just, uh, I'm, I'm going to suggest that that's sort of a simple way of starting. And what you're talking about is in, sounds like an elaboration of something like that. Did I get it right? Very much so. Yeah. Awesome. The only slight uh, elaboration there would be is when your glutes are squeezing, your pelvic floor is probably coming in as well. So mm. your sit bones are coming in. And when your sit bones come in, your femur doesn't have to spiral out. It could counter spiral. And so there's some counter spiraling the pelvis goes one way, uh, the femur goes another way, the tibia goes one way, the feet goes another way, then the heel goes a third way. Well, uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. the end result is exactly what you described. When the sit bones come together, the arch of the feet forms. Got it. And when the sit bones go apart, the arch of the foot unforms. And that's important in plie. And it's super, super important in walking. That sounds great. Okay. So from there, I want to back up a little bit. So Franklin method, I'm guessing came from someone whose first or last name was Franklin. What a good guess. Have you noticed how all the methods are a bit like that? Except well, you know, no one's ever, I don't know that anyone's ever named some technique off their middle name. That would be a clever That's true. Thing. And then, of course, we have Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen who named her technique uh, Body Mind Centering, which um, just makes me love her because she didn't go and name her technique. You know, this is going to sound totally silly and, and self-indulgent, but whenever people name a company after themselves, I find that very odd. Like, anyway, that's a whole other story. Okay, so um, this guy, his first or last name was Franklin. I'm assuming it's a guy. Am I right? Yeah, his name is Eric Franklin. Of course, it's a guy. Yeah, no, there's uh, lots of things that have been talked <laughs> about women as well, but nonetheless. Uh, yeah, so he was a dancer, professional dancer. He realized coming out of dance training, he um, was injured more than he felt would. And that's treated as normal. It's like yeah. you're doing this dancing. It's supposed to be good for you. But I've just spent five years training in dance uh, and half my time I've spent with some kind of injury or other. What's even about that? Uh, another thing he noticed is his teachers would say, uh, Eric, your spine is crooked like a banana. What, what even, how do you expect to be a dancer? And he noticed the, the obvious that if you're thinking about your spine being crooked like a banana, that's not a very useful thought uh, <laughs> to go the other way. Like, yeah. Um, and so that, that's kind of a little bit trite and trivial, but uh, yeah, the, the images that you hold about your body are going to mirror uh, what you do with your body. And mm -hmm. what he, he found is that there's a lot of different cues and images that people use, and some of them are not anatomically correct like, uh, or are only partially anatomically correct. Can you give me an example? Uh, an example he uses, people always like to lengthen the spine. Mm. And you can keep the spine lengthening, and that's probably a thing in my opinion, but if you turn your head, literally your spine is actually going to shorten a little bit. And if you twist in your whole spine, it is literally going to shorten a bit because that shortening allows space apparently for the, uh, the spinal cord uh, to not get uh, sheared or twisted or hurt in any way. And so if you think that your spine should be, length, should be getting longer as you're twisting, you're holding two contrary ideas in mind. One, that it should be getting longer. But you can also 
try to shorten while turning your head and that's awkward or you can let it shorten while turning your head and that's a little bit better i'm, I'm playing with that right now i'm like the idea of just sort of trying to feel it doesn't not feeling shortening but feeling uh, i'm turning my head and I definitely, I don't feel like I'm getting shorter because God knows I don't need that. Um, but, um, but I definitely get the idea that if you try to lengthen, it's adding tension into that process. I mean, that's what I can feel. If I'm turning my head and I'm trying to simultaneously lengthen, I'm actually just creating tension in my neck that isn't, doesn't feel particularly helpful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's also a thing, like if you're trying to do two slightly different things at once, uh, it, it doesn't work so great. Got it, got it. Um, uh, and so he got a bit annoyed about a lot of people making claims about how the body's supposed to move that actually are not related to how the body is supposed to move in his and science's opinion. And that's a little bit uh, controversial. I don't know if you've seen uh, the, uh, some people in France do these 3D visualizations of how the bones move in uh, certain movements. No. Um, it's really cool. It's this research lab in France that does um, modeling uh, and they have some great uh, uh, explanations just of how the foot is made. Like a foot is two arches, one going this way, one going this other way. And then you break those arches into different little bits of bone and boom, you have a foot. And same thing. They, You're gonna um, have to, we're going to have to find the link for that and include that in the show. Yeah, I will, I will send it to you afterwards. Okay, great. Um, the, and the, the point with that is there's some things that kind of everyone agrees. And then there's other things where people either agree to disagree or vehemently disagree. So for example, uh, a good, good functional movement in the sacred iliac joint uh, is probably something that you could start a whole bunch of arguments um, on the internet about. So but, let's pause here for a sec. Um, and, and let's give some people a little bit of an experience of this because it's a little heady at the moment. And I know yeah. that, thing that we could do where people would kind of get it a bit more and, uh, and move from there, pun intended. Cool, let's, let's stand up. Uh, tricky for me to if do. If you can do that, if I, yeah, right, here we go. I can do that. Okay. Now I got so you're not going to see the full body for me. Now um, we have this weird and, angle where people are looking up our noses. <laughs> and so what we're going to do is we're going to just move up on the tip of our toes and come back down again. Do that a couple of times and notice what we notice. Now, some people are not standing up, so you'll have to imagine doing this, or you'll do it later when you can stand up. Yeah, yeah do it later when you can. Okay. I often find frustrating during this uh, podcast that I'm listening to it while walking and people are like, okay, now stand hit with the part. And I'm like, yeah, right. I have got places to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can still um, imagine if you can't do it. All right. We just raised up onto our toes a few times. Cool. So on a scale of like one to 10, how effortful did you, how much effort did you have to put in to do that? Uh, see, now I have to remember because I wasn't paying attention to that. <laughs> so I'm going to use my memory on a scale of one to 10. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Um, and so now what we're going to do, we're going to imagine our sit bones. So we've just been sitting on them. So hopefully uh, we know where our sit bones are. Um, otherwise, they're at the bottom of your butt. They're the bony bits that stick out. And we're going to imagine our heels. And what we're going to do is we're going to imagine our heels swinging in as we come up. And we're going to imagine our sit bones narrowing closer together as we come up. Okay. And they're opposite as we go down. So we come up, our sit bones narrow, our heels swing in together. And we come down, our heels swing out, our sit bones swing out. We come up, our sit bones narrow together. And we come down and our heels swing out, sit bones swing out. Mm. That, yeah, so now the effort on that was like in the two and a half range. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's where you can kind of experiment if you're not convinced about, okay, so should sit bones come together in this movement? Should my heels uh, also swing together to match the sit bones? Uh, and we can try the opposite. 
So let's try to get our sit bones to come out and our heels to come out as we come up. And I find this horrendously difficult because I don't have the muscles in my feet uh, to do that kind of thing. I can do it. Um, but now, you know, the effort on that is more in the five range and it just feels stupid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's a very, uh, as far as I can tell, because obviously I haven't trained in it, but I've, <laughs> I've friends who've trained and they've given their practice lesson of this is how you should teach it. And that was a very kind of standard, here's how you teach some Franklin method. So what are, if we're going to take this further, what are people, we're going to learn some of these, let's call them natural movement patterns, because that's what we were talking about before. And that's what this experience is. How does this then apply to these things that human beings are doing, whether it's walking, running, dancing, lifting weights, I mean, whatever you can think of from your experience. Mm-hmm. So one is uh, you can just like train this thing and notice, oh, I'm having trouble when I have to put my ball on the foot, uh, my, my, the ball of my foot on the ground. Mm. And there's been a bunch of situations where we do that. We do it while running or at least while part of running. Um, we do it while dancing. There's a thing called a ball chain step uh, mm. where you step on the ball and then you step on the flat and you step on the flat. And if you're stepping on the ball and letting that heel stay swung out, you're going to have to engage a whole bunch of muscles in your foot to to do it. Whereas if you step on the ball and let the heel swing in, then you have, if you imagine uh, your hand and you kind of, uh, it's floppy. And if I twist it, so like forming the arch in my hand by twisting, then all the bones are kind of solid against each other and it's uh, less floppy. Mm. And that's kind of part of what we're doing with the arch of our foot when we bring our heel in and out. The, the slight supination of the of the front of the foot uh, for that is what creates the arch, is what makes the foot strong, is what gives you a foot that you can lever on. Uh, and then the opposite is when you're landing on your foot and you need a flat foot, you need a foot that's malleable to adapt to the contours of whatever you're balancing on, then you want the opposite to happen. You want to move away from your lever foot, you want to go into your base foot, and that involves the heel swinging out. And if someone's heel is not used to moving because uh, they live in uh, shoe prisons, or whatever else uh, we want to rant about, then they're going to find these two things difficult to do. People who live in heels are going to find it hard to let that heel correctly um, un, uh, unspiral. And that's going to mean that the shock absorption of their pelvis is going to be hard. So what they can do uh, is with the help of a Franklin Method teacher, typically will do some other modality, as far as I can tell. So there'll be a dance teacher, there'll be a Pilates instructor, whatever. And that that a teacher will say, hey, let's put some functional movement back into uh, the spirals of our legs. And then let's just go do the things that we want to do and see how that is. And generally, people find that there's kind of a radical difference. After having done this exercise of standing up, sitting down, you just go and do the thing you usually do. And you're like, oh, that's different. And then you can... I've talked about this in um, a couple of ways with people in the past, where a lot of what we're trying to do when it comes to natural movement ironically, is let people, I, I want I, the phrase I'm thinking of is expand their movement vocabulary. There's movements that we just, we habitually do. And because we're doing them habitually, they're coming from the back of our brain or our brainstem mostly, and we're really unaware of them. So now we're bringing awareness to either movements that we do habitually or new movements or not, let's not call them new movements, movements that we're not habitually doing that may be more effortless, more natural, more in line with what bodies are made to do. And, you know, Franklin method is new to me, but I've done Feldenkrais way in the past. That was something I was interested in for quite a while. I still love it, uh, but I'm just not doing much with it. But that there was that phenomenon where you find a movement that is new to you 
but not new to human bodies. And the experience is just like this amazing kind of aha moment that you feel through your entire body. And that's kind of what we're talking about here with just a different methodology where mm -hmm. this idea of looking to see how the bones and joints naturally should function. And you know, um, when you talk about bones versus uh, sort of separate from joints and muscles, I think of a, a line from Joe Rogan. Somebody asked him about, um, I think he was talking about boxing. And he said, boxing is the art of using your muscles to throw your bones at people, and, <laughs> which, which is a, a, a brilliant um, a metaphor. Um, so this is what we're talking about. And to, to the other point that's really interesting to me is based on what we led this conversation with, that when you do this, it should feel like you're using less effort. And, and that's a great guidepost. It's, you know, when I say, if you're not having fun, do something different. So you are, um, it's another very, or another thing when I, when people are starting to learn barefoot running or natural running, I go, this idea that you're supposed to get stronger. It's all about letting your calves get stronger. That may happen, but the bigger thing is learning to relax more is learning to find a way to do less, use less effort and then get things aligned properly is part of that. But just giving people the cue of, uh, how can you relax more? How can you do less? And what you're describing is a methodology for exploring doing less. Mm -hmm. Very much so. And also using the full body potential, like you can power through everything with your muscles if you have strong muscles, but just the movements of the bones, the way that the fascia is going to communicate stuff up and down chains, it makes it less effortful if you're doing it the, 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 the right way in, in, in scare quotes. Here, here's a, a fun analogy for that one too. So I, I did, and I taught Tai Chi many years ago and we did Tai Chi, not just as like a thing that old people do to relax, um, but it was a fighting art. It was a martial art. And one day I said to my teacher, who was a very interesting cat, this is a guy who, when I met him, he'd been doing Tai Chi for 22 years. He was 27 at the time. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> dad got him in early. And I said, I get it. The whole thing about Tai Chi as a fighting art and the, the seeming paradox about relaxation is that what you're trying to do is set up something that feels like a 2000 ton steel girder on a perfectly frictionless fulcrum. And what you do is you align your, you basically kind of lead people in with this frictionless moving thing. And then you align all your bones and joints and you put a stop on the pivot. And so the steel girder now stops and they go running into the steel girder. He goes, yeah, that's exactly it. So what you just said, it's like when you get everything aligned, it's super strong because of the alignment, not because of muscular effort. That doesn't mean there's no muscular effort. You need to, you know, you need to use your muscles to stand up, to sit, to do whatever else. But this thing of, of being easy to move and then strong by alignment in the places where you need to be strong is one of my favorite sort of images as well. Mm -hmm. Then Franklin method does imagery for other, it does imagery for fascia, does imagery for muscles, does imagery for organs. But the kind of basic level is the, the bones just because there's less of them. Right. It's so much easier. I mean, it's already hard if I were to do the full um, uh, bone spiral, and I've never actually seen a, a teacher do that in class. It's just something that I've learned over the whole thing. You have the sit bone goes one way, the femur goes another way, the tibia goes another way, the foot goes another way, the heel goes another way. Even holding those five things in your mind as you're doing the movement, that's a lot. Yeah. So imagine you're trying to image uh, what your uh, the different strands of your glutes are doing what your quads are doing uh, what your piriformis is doing what your this that and the other is doing that's part of the reason why a lot of the so if we wanted to be controversial everyone often 
there's a queue that's often engage your whatever. And right. like my whatever is so much more complicated than something you can switch off and on. Right. And I get that you think that it's switched off at the moment and you would just like to be switched on. But the 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 um, the, the, the myriad of ways in which I could engage my glutes uh, is such that working with let's let allow these bones to move in this way. And that's also the other thing that's fun about bones and organs is that you can't explicitly move them. You can only move muscles to move right. them. Right. Or even for your organs, mostly you can't even move muscles to move them. Um, but you can use your imagination about them and you can visualize it and image it and say, okay, so I would like my femurs to spiral out in this situation and spiral in in this other situation. And then you let your body uh, deal with exactly how the muscles should coordinate to make that happen because you can't possibly do that coordination. Very interesting. One of the things that I marvel at is how much of our movement is in completely unconscious. I mean, you know, you'll find yourself scratching your nose, but you didn't think about doing that and yet you're able to do it. And then, you know, actually, I'll tell you, this is a weird one. After starting Zero Shoes, I discovered something that really surprised me. There are probably a hundred ways, maybe more, to tie a pair of shoes. I never knew this. I always assumed people did it the same way I did. And then I've seen so many variations. It's totally crazy. Well, there's a similar thing. There's all these different ways of moving. And again, we typically just don't have the vocabulary because no one ever gave us that opportunity. I have this theory that um, in order to graduate high school or college or university, wherever you're going, um, that you need to be able to do something like a cartwheel or a round off, or, you know, something that demonstrates that you've learned how to move your body in some way that we're not wired for, or, I mean, we can do them, but we're not, it's not like an evolutionary thing to be able to do a cartwheel. Um, it's like when someone, when someone says to me, well, we didn't evolve to run on hard surfaces. Well, actually the surfaces we evolved on, uh, were often hard packed mud, which is as hard as concrete. We didn't evolve to do double backflips either, but I can do one. So, you know, but, and, and just, expanding the vocabularies. I, I keep saying that over and over on this call, obviously, but that's the part that I find really compelling. Let's kind of find a way to bring this in with, can we think of one other thing to let people experience? I put let's, you on the spot. Let's do, let's do that with uh, the same movement, but having a look what Alexander Technique might notice and say about it. Ooh. Uh, so, oh, wait, oh. Then before we do that, oh. say something about okay. what Alexander Technique is. Again, another dude. Uh, so this one lived uh, quite a while ago. Um, well, uh, he was born in the late 1800s. He developed his technique somewhere around 1890 and then was teaching it uh, and earning a living from teaching it for quite a while. And it was only in the 1930s that people said, hey, this thing, we would like teachers as well. You should train us to teach it. And so I don't know if it never crossed his mind, but there's something about marketing that he'd never quite had to do. <laughs> um, that means that uh, it's a lifetime's work that is completely at right angles to what everyone else has ever been doing in mm. a certain sense, but also very much into everything that we've been doing in various thematic modalities since the 1950s or whenever. The short description is that it's a method for noticing and unlearning our habits. I like that. I uh, and so you are mentioning all this movement we do subconsciously. Some of the subconscious movement we do is great. Yeah. And some of it is just us getting in our own way. Well, this, um, is not, this I'm sure has nothing to do with Alexander technique, but I love um, unlearning habits. I've been on a kick for the last couple of months to put my pants on with the other leg first. So I noticed that I was left leg first and now I've been trying to get, to, I've been trying to remember to do right leg first every time. And I'm going to keep doing it until I can't remember which one I prefer. Nice. I'll come back to that. 
Okay. Well then, and what's your experience as a practitioner or as someone who's been exploring these things of the relationship between Alexander and Franklin? So Alexander technique is harder to pin down. So it's less obvious what it is. You can't buy the book. Well, actually, you, you can buy the, the, the book. It's the quite tiny. It and it is self. the use of the self. And it is very, very hard to read if you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So I would probably not recommend reading this book. Although it's small enough, why not? Um, <laughs> and so I kept meeting it. Like my partner um, did a semester in a college of uh, Alexander Technique. Uh, a couple of the teachers that I've had as dance teachers were trained in Alexander Technique. And I still couldn't quite pin down which part of the teaching that they were doing was Alexander Technique and what it was. And so when I moved to Edinburgh as a kind of permanent place to live for a few years, uh, about four or five years ago, I thought, I'm going to find myself an Alexander Technique teacher. I'm going to find out what this thing's about. And after the first session, I think I was very lucky in finding my teacher. We're very well suited to each other. And he's very good at adapting, I think, to different people. It's easy for me to think he teaches everyone like he teaches me, but I don't think that's the case. Um, after that first session, I went walking was suddenly this whole new experience of walking. I was probably walking maybe the, the, the same, but I was feeling how my body was moving through space differently. I was feeling how I had more attention and more freedom in my head to kind of smell the flowers and watch the birds fly by. I had a coffee afterwards and I still remember, not literally, but I can remember that I remember the taste of that coffee. Suddenly, I, it was like I never tasted coffee before. Mm. And so it was like really this, this way of finding new new experiences by letting go of, of some of our habits that we have. Um, this allows us to find something, instead of replacing one habit uh, of, of walking with my head into my phone with another way of walking with my head into my phone, suddenly saying, how about you walk differently? So it's interesting. We're in a way coming at movement from... Uh, let's say similar directions, different angles. So unlearning a habit, one way of unlearning a habit is discovering a new thing that you didn't have in your vocabulary. Um, and another way is um, sort of forgetting something that you've been doing. So e either one of those can really open it up. So, all right. So what's the experience you want to share that's more Alexander-esque? So same thing. We're going to uh, stand up and we're going to move up on the tip of our toes. Wait, hold on. I'm still arranging standing up. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. And you're going to watch me while we do it, and I'm going to watch you while we do it. Okay. Uh, and what I want you to notice is my shoulders. Okay. Am I doing something with my shoulders? Well, that's an interesting question, because I would say simultaneously that you're not doing something, but something is happening. So what it looked like is as you were coming up, your shoulders were coming back and down a little bit. Now, some of that could be from the angle because I'm, you know, the camera's now pointing up your nose, but that's what it looked like from my end. Yeah, yeah. And part of that is what you're doing is moving from something that's fairly stable and easy. So standing on the ground to up on your tips, your toes, a little bit more challenging. And as soon as you do something a little bit more challenging, whatever that little bit more is compared to baseline, you're going to engage kind of the habits that you use for doing challenging things. And so my habit for doing challenging things at the moment is like for 10 years, I haven't believed in pull your shoulders back mm. because it's a really bullshit cue, but still I have this pull your shoulders back habit in my body. And as soon as I do something diff difficult, I'm going to be either like raising my shoulders like this or pulling my shoulders back like this in an effort to, to be nice upright posture. That's how you do balance. Right. Uh, and so what Alexander suggests is, uh, or what the, the technique suggests is that you you notice that you're doing those things. 
and you just say no to them. <laughs> so the first, part, the first part is the noticing, which I imagine probably needs another set of eyes because we're so used to it. That, that's really helpful. That's why I think one of the couple of reasons why Alexander Technique is often taught one-on-one mm-hmm. with another teacher is that teacher has the eyes to notice the things that you don't notice anymore. Yeah. And conversely, can reassure you like if you're standing upright, I'm just going diagonally and pulling my shoulders artificially back and pushing my chest. I think this is standing upright and this feels normal to me. If we go into a new organization of upright, which is maybe more like this, no. where I'm not necessarily less upright to an outside observer, but to my inside observer, it feels like I'm kind of leaning forwards. Right. You need someone to reassure you. Yeah, I know right now this feels really new. This is a new experience. Congratulations. You've had a new experience of yourself. That's what this is all about. Mm. Uh, and so someone kind of help you not freak out. Because then, of course, the next thing you do when you freak out is go back to where you were before. Yeah. Well, you know, I find it fascinating how our identity is so tightly wrapped up with certain movement patterns, um, consciously and unconsciously. It's The conscious version is how, you know, someone's 50 yards away, they take two steps and we recognize them. Or, I mean, assuming we know who they are. And, and it, it's just, they're so common. And again, we don't experience them. We don't feel it because we just habituate to things that are familiar. So that's super, super interesting. So and then when, when you change them following yeah. that idea, you suddenly have this identity threat. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's as if you're a Democrat and you say, hey, you should vote, vote Republican or you're Republican and you say, hey, you should vote Democrat. The idea that maybe that party is better aligned with your values <laughs> is really, really scary if part of your self-identity is that you vote for this political party. And it's not just political parties, it's everything that you might strongly believe about the world and how you move tends to be something you strongly believe. I wonder how much of it is <laughs> I wonder how much of it is related to um, some kind of you know familial tribal thing, like how we often move the way our parents do, or at least one of our parents does. And and so I, I have a suspicion. I don't know that I haven't read anything about this. I'd be curious if anyone's written about it. Uh, and if anyone knows, let me know that we adopt movement patterns to fit in. And so there's a threat if we don't fit in, because there was a time where if you don't fit in, you know, you get eaten and that's problematic. So some of this is so deeply ingrained. And to your point about the relationship between the movement pattern and even something as silly sounding as whether you vote Democrat or Republican, our beliefs are also so tightly held to who we think we are, that when you challenge someone's belief, they act often like you're trying to kill them or their family or both. Mm -hmm. So all of these, what's so intriguing to me about all of these, what we talked about, Franklin method, Alexander technique, beliefs, all of this, um, and identity, it's just how these are all like this giant Venn diagram. And in the center of the Venn diagram is this thing called you that is very malleable really, but, but we're not it's evolutionarily not advantageous to be malleable because that takes effort. That takes thinking that takes rewiring your brain, which could make it so that the saber tooth bunny can catch you before you catch it. And this is part of what I find so uh, fun about this whole exploration about natural movement. Cause it's not just about mm-hmm. running barefoot or whatever. It's this whole body mind um, self phenomenon that plays into it. Cause my God, look here, here's the self version. There are a lot of people who love the idea of walking around barefoot, but they would never do it in public because of who people would think they are. 
And I, in fact, I remember though, my version is I'm walking to the office one day, summer day, I've got a pair of cargo shorts on, I'm in bare feet, my hair was uh, even bigger than it is today. And I'm wearing a, a ratty zero t-shirt, um, unlike the nice one that I'm wearing today. And I catch myself in the reflection of the window of our office and I stopped dead in my tracks and went, oh, I'm that guy. <laughs> and I'm okay being that guy, but I just never thought about being that guy. And, mm-hmm. and people see me as that guy. So, which uh, is fine. I don't really care. I don't know who these people are. I'll never see them again. But anyway, that, that's what, we're, what we've been talking about through this whole thing for the last you know, 50 minutes or so, um, which I find fun. I, I need to bring this in to, for a landing. Is there anything that we've missed that you want to share to give people some idea or inspiration about how to explore these things? Mm-hmm. So Alexander Technique, one of the things you asked me 10 minutes ago was... Um, what what was what did it bring more or different? Mm, yeah, um, yeah. One of the ideas, the fundamental ideas of uh, that Alexander described was what he calls psychophysical unity. And there's very many ways you could work through that. My way of working through it is to say that although we can think of ourselves as a mind and a body, that way of compartmentalizing ourselves into two parts generally is not a useful one. How um, do, that's a boy. That is. We have lived as a Cartesian society for a long time, and that's for that sounds really arrogant when I say it that way. So uh, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. That was sort of the beginning of the whole idea of the separation of mind and body as a concept, and then it grew from there. Freud expanded on that, and it, it has stayed pretty much part of our cultural identity, if you will, especially in the West. Mind and body are two separate things, and that the idea of somehow bridging that gap or not having that belief or seeing ourselves without that concept is literally inconceivable. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, Alexander Technique teaches bring, as I understand, is a kind of new, new experience of being ourselves. Mm. And so that new experience where uh, often uh, one of the things people say is instead of consciously breathing, imagine you're being breathed. And I've had a couple of Alexander Technique lessons where I feel like I'm being thought. Mm-hmm. And that's not a comfortable thing. Like I would like to control my thoughts. They're my no. thoughts. I want to be in charge of them. Uh- <laughs> I, um, I haven't had that feeling of being in charge of my thoughts for a very long time. Um, and in fact, the phenomenon of trying to remember something and not being able to, and then it pops into your mind sometime later, most people find that either they're nonplussed by it or somewhat comforting. It's like, oh, my subconscious is working on it. I find it very, very uncomfortable because what the hell was going on that I'm, I mean, that quote, I had nothing to do with. And there it is. It sort of just lands in my mind. In fact, I mean, way back when that phenomenon would have been described as the gods speaking to you, which seems just as logical or just as a a viable way of describing that experience as quote subconscious one is all internal the other is seemingly external but what the hell i mean how do i know Um, i mean i don't believe it's an external thing i don't believe the gods are planting ideas in my head but but we all have times where it felt like that something that shows up in your mind fully formed and it's like what the where did that come from and that's an amazing thing or my favorite version of that that everyone can do right now is imagine talking to someone. And as soon as we do this, you can do it. And think of something you've always wanted to say to somebody and just start saying it like out loud. And you'll notice that you don't know where the sentence is going to end when you start it, but it gets there and you're not making it get there. Something lets it get there, which 
if you extrapolate from that, you know, means that we have no free will, but that's a whole other conversation. So, <laughs> so, um, so that's a really beautiful idea though, of using Alexander technique and, and I can imagine um, Franklin as well, because of what it can bring to the expansion of the vocabulary where you, you know, you can't get this very different sense of how, who and how you are, um, where you're yeah, more, very of a much ver- so. yeah, more of a verb than a noun. Although uh, maybe one of the uh, uh, Alexander has a bunch of um, uh, play on word quips that I often don't like, uh, but one of them is we are human beings, not human doings. Yeah, that one's got a little pat. That's kind of Hallmark card. I mean, I get it and I, I'm all for it, but I don't think it's a little, yeah, it's just a little glib because mm-hmm. I would, in fact, I could make the argument that it's the other way around, that we're just human doings. We're just verbs. We're breathed, we're thought, we're moved, we're, you know, any of those, um, which is actually mm-hmm. Jared's. And, and more, I would argue, and I wouldn't argue, I would say for the fun of it, that we're all of those things. Sometimes we're being, sometimes we're moving, sometimes we're doing, sometimes we're, I don't like it when people try to ossify the idea of what we are. Yeah. We do all of these it's things. It's just a, uh... It's just a thing to push, I think, people who are doing too much. And then when you're like always doing and always doing, and then suddenly this all this efforting in mm. and saying, let it be done. And so instead of do the breathing, let the breathing be done. Breathing um, breathing's an easy one, though, because, yeah. because 99.9% of the time, it's just done. And we're, we're completely unaware of it. We're not doing anything about it. And to use that metaphor for the rest of our life, I think, is a little... Um, uh, that, that can, that can be problematic. You know, we've been building a business. We're doing a lot. Um, there's no way to being it a lot. Uh, that's, you know, there's things that have to get done. I'm, I can see behind the screen that we're having this conversation. I got 50 emails that I'm going, okay, I gotta get out of here. I gotta, I gotta deal with those. And I can't just, um, now granted, if I pay attention, the way I'm responding to them is more letting it happen or it's happening despite or parallel mm-hmm. to the, you know me doing it so it's it's okay. not it's it's complicated something for you to try when um when about answering those emails yeah so i i spend my day at the computer i often have emails to have to deal with and i do this mm. so and so there's a physical movement punching forward that kind of you know collapsing into that you know that focusing in that intensity and so it's it's psychophysical, Alexander might say, it's both a mental act and a physical act yeah. that, that coordinate together. And what if you just said no to the physical act of it? So, a- okay, I'm going to answer those emails with just as much intensity and fight and doing, but I'm not, I'm just going to let my head go upwards. Uh, I'm going to let my shoulders just sit quietly. Mm. And that takes away none of my power of doing an agency in the world. Mm. But it just means I don't have to hurt myself while I'm doing the doing. I think that's a great one to sort of leave people with that experiment, that idea, because we all spend a lot of time staring at our screens and leaning over and doing whatever. And and it can and I can imagine, in fact, I literally did imagine that it could almost feel threatening to the to think about doing it without that physical effort. And this is coming back to where we started. What's it like to do all these things without the striving, without the effort, without all the hard work? And because of just how that wraps in with our identity, it can, that could be threatening. And so look, do it for one email, just give yourself, you know, one, maybe two, just as an experiment. You don't need to live this way. Just try it. See what happens. We're not telling you, you should be different, that you need to go away. It's just a way of, you know, (laughs) 
it's just for fun, just to see what you discover. That would be yeah. my, my uh, recommendation. I always say as a dance teacher, I'm here to make people become more themselves. Mm. And so I'm not trying to make them someone else, someone that they're not. And I think that's what's really great about both Alexander Technique uh, and Franklin Method. Uh, they're both invitations to become more of yourself instead of invitations to completely change who you are because who you are is not good enough. Mm. Yeah, that's a whole other tangent we could take. For <laughs> uh, when someone says, I'm trying to be more myself, I'm going, guess what? That's you. You just don't like it. So <laughs> you'd rather be it's something else. To like that's it. You. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, let's get to, let's get to at least not arguing with it or not thinking that it's proof of some problem or a demonstration that there's something wrong or missing or lacking. Almost everything I've ever found where people wish they were somehow different is actually a function of being a living human being. All human beings have that same urge, that same thought, that same whatever. So clearly it's a feature, not a bug. And if you start there, then you're not a problem. You're not a self-improvement project. You're not a problem mm -hmm. you can be fixed. You're an exploration. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's also when you're working with someone, you don't want to work with someone who thinks that they're your coach through a self-improvement project. That's not no, fun. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, there's no, nothing less fun than, uh, than someone, well, you know, look, here's the way you make a, make a boatload of money. You convince people that you are, in fact, someone who can see them as a self-improvement project, and you promise them that they'll get to the end of the project, and they'll have a whole new self-improved home um, in their mind and body. And that's how you make a lot of money, because we, we're continually looking for things that are potentially wrong to fix, because that's how we evolved. It's just that's not the only way to live. Anyway, we can That's go on a philosophical true. rant for ages. Um, Greg, I, first, I just want to thank you. This has been a real pleasure. And um, uh, and while you know, many times there are people who I talk to who are teaching something or whatever, and they say, here's my website to find out what, more about what I'm doing. You're talking about some other things, but I can imagine some people would want to explore with you and talk more about your journey and what you found. So if people want to get in contact with you, um, share that, but also... Um, anything, any specific links you have or, you know, websites in your mind for people to find out more about Alexander Technique or um, Franklin Method. And again, we'll put those in the show notes. But in other words, uh, how can you close this out with the people getting in touch with you and getting finding out more about what you've been talking about? Cool. I have a blog with some explorations of how I explored some of the Franklin Method books. Uh, so that's um, gregdyke.github.io. Oh, wait, hold on. Let's do that uh, in slow-mo and spell it for, for humans. Yeah. So Greg Dyke is my name, G-R-E-G-D-Y-K-E and dot GitHub, G-I-T-H-U-B dot I-O. Brilliant. And I also have a podcast, which is called Walk to Work, because I used to do it when uh, in the before times when we actually used to have to travel to go to work. And I really enjoyed walking to do it. And that you can find, I think, just by searching Walk to Work in your podcast thing. And you'll find uh, some information about Franklin Method, Alexander Technique. And that will kind of guide you through to Google those things, find a practitioner in your area, try out various practitioners because some of them, we didn't get into that, but some people you just don't jive with because yeah. they, they don't explain things in ways that make sense to you. So you find someone else who does. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a big one. There are very few people who have the skills to meet everyone that they encounter where they are. Um, and so find the one who works for you. That's a good one. Well, so Greg, again, total, total treat. Thank you so much. And for everyone else, thank you for joining us. 
And again, uh, just a reminder, head over to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find out more previous episodes, places to engage with us, how to share and like and leave comments. If you have any suggestions, people that you want to have on the podcast or that you think I should chat with, people who might talk to me who think I have my head completely up my butt, um, I'm okay. If someone says I have cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, not a big deal. Uh, but then you can drop me an email, move at jointhemovementmovement.com. But of course, most importantly, go out have fun and live life feet first.